Have you ever wondered how to transition from your current industry into a cloud career? Our guest today talks about his journey transitioning from mechanical engineering and academia to a career in the cloud. And he shares his best advice on how others can make a similar transition. Welcome to Cloud Career Mentor. I am your host, Fayomi Fashionu. And on this show, we aim to inspire, educate, and motivate you to make the right moves to break into the cloud industry. If you are looking to get your first cloud job, I have created a free high quality guide that walks you through the three simple steps you can take to make you more attractive to recruiters and give you the best chance of getting that cloud job. The link for this guide is in the show description, so go download it now. I'm really excited for you to listen to this episode, so let's jump right in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's show. We have a very special guest today. He is a cloud consultant and an AWS community hero. Welcome to the podcast, Igor Soroka. Nice to have you here, man. Thank you for, uh, for inviting me, Fayomi. But I would uh, start with a small correction. I'm not community hero, I'm community builder, uh, which is a little bit lower level than being community hero. Uh, ah. But yeah, thank you. Thank you for <laughs> up-leveling. <laughs> now that's a good point How actually. Doing? How are you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. Like, you know, it's a cloudy day in London, but no, I'm, I'm really happy to have you here to share your story. What's the difference between a community builder and a community hero while we're on the topic? Yeah, let's start from this one. I think it's a great topic to discuss. Um, many people are confused. So AWS Community Builder is a program where you can become the part of this amazing crowd of people but you can do it online by yourself. So basically you're applying and uh, AWS folks, they are considering you for the Builders program. And Builders program has a couple of thousands of people already. And it's it's pretty easy because you just apply, you need some contributions, but uh, and some committee will be checking on you. But with the Hero program, it's a little bit different. Hero program, you need to be you need to have the outstanding kind of contribution to the community or to the field you're working on. And that's why it's a more elite club, let's say, and it's invite only. So mm. you're being invited, not you're applying. So that's no, the that... thing. Um, but we have a Slack space and we have um, communication with many people like in the Builders program and Heroes and AWS folks. So it's, it's something... Not interchangeable in the outer. Yeah, room, there's a real difference. Inside, uh, nobody, nobody, yeah, nobody's trying to have ranks that you're a hero, you're a builder, and pretty much mixed up. Still, All right, it, it yeah. seems like a community builder is gonna be gonna be the next step for me. But thanks for coming on. We could dive into it. How would you describe your current role or what you do? Like, how would you describe that? I'm working as an independent consultant where I'm joining the projects uh, on a six to a 12 months basis. So I'm joining as, as a variety of roles. In, in many cases, it depends on uh, what's the project requirements. But basically, I started as a more senior cloud engineer and now I'm a tech lead in one of the UK company projects. So mostly it's a uh, mixture of 
architecture and putting some technical decisions, uh, discussing with the stakeholders and uh, at the same time, some coding, uh, providing infrastructure, especially because I'm working in serverless. And uh, this border between doing infrastructure or business logic implementation, it's a very thin layer, I would say. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good introduction. And I also think it's good to for people to understand that you can jump between roles. Like on one project, you could be a cloud engineer and another project, you could be a solution architect. So, you know, once you have the skills, you can sort of jump into different roles as needed. So we're going to come up to, you know, what you're currently doing now, as well as the serverless to- stuff, because I think, you, you know, you specialize in serverless. But I think we need to go back all the way back to the beginning, before you got into the cloud, what were you doing before you you decided to transition into the cloud? Mostly my experience was related to mechanical engineering and I started as a mechanical engineer and my specialization was aircraft eng- engines at first, then more into industrial automation, uh, pneumatics and uh, hydro- hydraulics. So all these uh, things related to fluid power so big kudos to, to people who are also entering the field from engineering background from more traditional engineering, because even if we call software engineering, it's still a little bit different. It still has uh, different science back then. So it's nice to meet people actually transitioning from mechanical engineering to, to software or cloud even. So I started there and um, it was uh, an interesting journey where I tried to learn coding several times and I failed, I think, almost three times. Every couple of years I tried to get into coding, but I was failing on the very elementary things and uh, it was pretty challenging for me, honestly. But at some point I had time uh, during the university and uh, during my master's degree and yeah, that's it. I started to learn coding, especially I started to learn Java, tried then to make my own Telegram bot, tried to deploy it in Heroku. I think there I met the clouds for the first time. And from Heroku, I already joined some startup where the, the actually the guy was using the AWS and I saw the AWS first, first time ever. But it, for me, it was a rocket science really those times. And I didn't, didn't understand much, but in the end, I joined more traditional company doing Java, uh, coding in Java, doing integrations, uh, virtual work, sometimes doing SSH connections to to real server. Um, yes. On premises uh, server. Yes. It was it was an interesting journey, and then I moved to cloud. Yeah, we're going to dive into my, that as well. One thing I wanted to touch on was you know the fact that you came from a mechanical engineering background. We actually had um, a yep. guest on the podcast, Baba. He actually came from an engineering background, but he actually came in through telecoms. And through telecoms is how he was able <laughs> to get into the cloud. But I really wanted to touch on what you mentioned about how you tried to learn programming several times and failed, because that it was exactly the same with me. I remember, you know, I tried to pick up Java, you know, did learn the basics, tried mm-hmm. to do some projects, and I just couldn't get my head around it. And I did that like twice. So like I started, failed, (laughs) left it for six months, started again, failed, (laughs) left it for 12 months. And eventually I stumbled upon Python. And I think that just made more sense to me in terms of how my brain works. Because with Java, just write a hello world, you have to write like all these other texts in there. 
And I'm like, what do those do in main public? What is that? Like, I just couldn't understand. So yeah, like just, just a highlight for the listeners that, you know, very rarely do people get programming first time. Like, you know, if you don't get it now, know that that's normal in a way. Like, you know, most people, myself included and Igor as well, it's like, you know, you have to fail a couple of times before eventually it clicks. So failure is a part of the process. So yeah, just to pick up. So yeah, you started with uh, mechanical engineering, you're working on engines and all of that. What made you decide to start learning programming or even start looking in that direction of doing something different? What inspired that? I think in my case, I was pretty close to software already because I was really interested to go into automation. And automation means that you need to program something. And everything starts with the very unjust, heavy industrial languages, which are sequence diagrams. And um, I would say it's not real programming, but it gives you the kind of the flavor of it, let's say, that you're actually having your machine, which is doing something like in the real world, moving something, uh, switching something. So I would say here I was pretty close but still, I understood at some point that if I want to do more automation, I need to learn like real programming language. And it happens to me quite often that I'm starting somewhere close, but not at the right place. So Java, honestly, is not the best thing to do automation for the industrial computers or microcontrollers. I would say Python would be better or C, for example, this kind of uh, languages, they would be much more suitable for these purposes. But in my case, I started to try because I think it's, it's important to try different things. And there is no universal recipe for all of us. We are learning very differently. The more I'm discovering people's stories, talking with other professionals, like everyone gets its own kind of way. And I would say that uh, for me, it was like, okay, I tried this approach, I tried another approach, I tried this school, I tried the, these courses, and that was basically it. So how did you find uh, Python compared to, to other ones, by the way? Did you find it much simpler yes. for yourself, like you said? Yes, I found it a lot simpler because it was more straightforward in terms of you just wrote exactly what you needed. It was a much cleaner language. There weren't square brackets, uh, sorry, squiggly brackets or colons or semicolons yes. as much. And so for me, it, it almost like I typed it as I wanted it to be. And the fact that it was cleaner just made it easier for me to grasp. Because I remember with Java, before you wrote printed Hello World, it was like in public main, you had to write a bunch of different things. And I just couldn't understand what those things were doing. And I'm the kind of person I like to know exactly what's happening. <laughs> and so that just added a layer of like overthinking. Whereas with Python, it's like print, hello world, and you're good to go. So that's why I found it easier. But then again, I think what also probably helps is all the learnings I've I'd had from the Java times, because I think no knowledge is wasted. So because I'd already understood some of the concepts from when I was learning Java, it then made it easier to pick up once I started learning Python. So yeah, I think that's a really, yeah, learning programming is tough. So don't give up if you're, if you're struggling. You touched on something that I want to dive into. Uh, what specific strategies did you use? Actually, before we go into that, let's talk about how you actually transitioned into 
your first cloud role. So you mentioned that, you know, you started learning programming, then you started doing some on-prem work. Yeah, talk us through that journey. So you went from, okay, I'm working as a engineer to, okay, now I'm learning Java to now I'm doing on-prem to now I'm working in the cloud. So yeah, walk us through that journey. Yeah, I have had the chance to be part of the uh, laboratory in my university where I've been working as a research assistant. And there we had um, an ambitious project to some robotic vision. And uh, that's why I had the chance to experiment with the things I'm learning. It was hard uh, in the beginning to hook it up. But basically, I started from there to do some programming, even on my current role where I have been to, because I was part of the machine vision kind of thing. And I tried to use some pattern recognition with this open CV library, pretty well known. I, I don't know the state of it right now, but who knows? Maybe maybe somebody can, can uh, <laughs> say more. But from there, I started doing my uh, research into this, uh, my thesis, and at some point, I tried to use programming everywhere. I tried to use sorting you even when I'm trying to fold my clothes and, uh, you know, to understand how it could be applied to the real world. But no, nevertheless, it was a journey transitioning from the university to the startup world because I encourage people to try things at the university times, especially when they have... Um, some boot camps, launch pads, no, no matter what is the name, but many universities now, they are offering some kind of programs. If it's not part of the university, there are many online hackathons. And I think this is the thing which can make motivation because, you know, I had the story with my friend who studied programming, but he did not uh, have a chance to program a lot. He studied computer science more than, more than programming. And that's why he was keen to learn things, but he joined me in the hackathon where he was done almost none of the programming, but still he helped and still he got some motivation and the usage of the cloud, for example, and these kind of things. So jumping back to my story is that I was part of the university, then I joined the company. In the company, it was interesting to see that you need to deploy somewhere. You need to have it publicly available, for example. You need to set up security and many things. And with the on-prem Linux server, you're still closer to the things you're actually doing. So from there, it was an interesting thing that I was doing mostly programming, just programming and developing software. While on my second project, it was more like a consulting company. And I also joined as a developer and um, we had this company program for for certifications. And I decided, okay, why not? I should try it. It was super hard, especially with AWS. When you start the developer associate with no cloud background, I think it's super, super hard for me. Yes, it was a challenge and I spent some time, but uh, the company helped me in doing this. But I would say that going to developer associates Certificate, it's like a pretty advanced topic already. Mm, so yeah. that's why now I think it's it's simpler to join some kind of cloud practitioner exam, which is the basic one, foundational one for AWS. So there I would say I learned the ropes, 
but it took me some time to really use these skills at work. So it was a journey then to find an approach how to use it in there. Yeah, the I think you've world, touched on project button couple of ones. I think you've touched on three very important things here. The first one is even though you joined as a developer for your, the first startup, you still had to use Linux. And this is one thing I always say to people who are looking to get into the cloud, that you need to learn the Linux command line because I believe something like 90% of the cloud workloads work, run on Linux. So, you know, if you can't even do basic Linux commands, then <laughs> it is going to be challenging for you, shall we say. The second thing you touched on was the fact that your company encouraged you to take the developer, AWS developer associate certification. Because it's another thing I tell people is that your number one priority is to get your first cloud job. Just get your first job in tech because what I find is a lot of people procrastinate. You know, they want to do all the certifications before they start applying for jobs. And what I say is that actually most companies will pay for you to do those certifications. Your focus should be, maybe you, you should do your cloud practitioner, like you mentioned, just to get your head around the cloud. I'd even say, you know, you could even look at the solutions architect to gain that deeper understanding. But apart from that, you just need to be doing projects, projects, projects because that's what's going to get you hired to begin with. I know you said you were doing a lot of programming practices and things like that. And so yeah, just do a lot of the more projects they can do, they become more attractive to employers. And the third thing you mentioned as well is the fact that even though you were employed and even though you're doing projects, it still took you a while to be comfortable in the cloud. And I think that's such an important point because I don't think the cloud is something you learn overnight. I think it's something you just the more projects you do, the more experience you have, the easier it gets. But even then, it still takes years to be comfortable with all the services because what a lot of beginners don't realize is that it's not just the cloud, it's everything that comes with it, right? So it's AWS, it's CICD, it's Linux, it's programming, it's DevOps. And so there's all these other things, whereas most beginners, they think, oh, if I just learn this AWS, then I'll be good. But the reality is there's so many pieces that you need to learn for you to become even halfway competent in a cloud career. So thanks for thanks for sharing that. So you're saying after you you had those, you, you began to feel a, a lot more confident in your abilities? Yes, I think certificate helped me like to, to feel uh, more comfortable. But I think it's not obligatory and I think it's not the thing which everyone should do. I would say that uh, AWS has now many programs to develop your cloud skills for free. Basically, and not only the YouTube videos from many different people who are doing cloud education in some sort, in some way, but also there are many programs from AWS itself. So, for example, there is this uh, cloud quest, I think, for, for mm. the cloud practitioner exam. And I think it gives so many so many opportunities to learn about the basic services because as you said you, you cannot like learn the whole cloud it's not possible and nobody knows uh, all the services of aws or google cloud or azure or alibaba cloud nobody knows this it depends on your specialization on your day-to-day -day work but i would say that of course there are some main services uh for example for aws to be ec2 s3 I mean, the storage, the virtual machines, this kind yes. of thing. It's, it's pretty, pretty nice to learn, yeah. to learn them. Yeah, Lambdas, of course, Lambdas. But my personal favorites, but still, 
like 10, 20 services. It's nice to learn to renew them, but you don't need to be stressed to learn more than 200 already. <laughs> so yeah. With AWS or with Google Cloud, it's also when you're opening them, you see that there are so many possibilities uh, which, with, the, with the cloud. So that's why I would say it's uh, pretty important not to try to learn everything, but to start with something. And I would add here that I noticed that the best thing uh, to learn with the curiosity in mind, having kind mm. of a way to play and learn, a way mm. that you want to solve your own problem. I mean, amazing stories of people who are trying to get, I don't know, uh, some notification of the bubble tea they had uh, in their area, when it's available, you get some SMS or a message somewhere. Some this kind of small things, which could you, which could help you to motivate yourself to solve real problems. For me, once it was the problem of the cleaning of the ski tracks in Finland because I was living in Finland at those times, and I really enjoyed the fresh snow. <laughs> kind of, and there was a service from the city with the API, and I tried to hook it up, and it helped me dramatically, like. To, to improve my free time, but at the same time, I learned something other way, which is pretty amazing when you think that programming solves real problems and cloud also solves real problems. And in many cases, uh, cloud is the way to get your service or website uh, accessible. I think that's such a key point. And I think that was the same with me. I think you need to have, you almost need to have a certain creativity in terms of what problem do I want to solve with programming? So like for me, I had this idea of creating like a, an, an appointment app for barbers. So, you know, when I went to get my haircuts, like I'd, you know, go on the app and pay and, and all of that. And by having that sort of big project in mind, or even a little project, just something that, you know, just following a tutorial, it's something new that you've come up with that you want to bring into the world. I think that helps you learn so much more because I think people fall into tutorial hell where they just follow tutorials and follow tutorials. But what happens is when they, they need to do an independent project, they're stuck because there's no one telling them what to do. Whereas if you come up with your own project and then you try to find the resources to make it happen, like you with your cleaning the ski lift uh, project, then you're like, okay, you have to figure things out. You have to troubleshoot. You have to find resources. And that's the way to learn. And so for those of you who are thinking like, oh, what projects do I do? Just look around, see, just try to think, what, what can I do to... Um, what, what can I create that will make my life easier or something I want to see in the world? You know, it could be as simple as, oh, I want to host my own blog, you know, rather than do using Medium or whatever. And these are the sort of projects that help you to, you know, improve your skills. But definitely think of your own projects and, you know, pick a programming language and try to make it happen on AWS. Cool. Igor, so now that, you know, you've been in the cloud for a couple of years, you're really senior now. How do you think your tasks and responsibilities have changed from your first role to now? What was the different? What's the same? I would say that I'm making more decisions on the daily basis on and which which could affect others. And I think the most important here, which changed that the things which I'm doing, I'm not doing it just because I want to, but because we have a team and other people rely on me or rely on my work. And also that's the point of being senior. You're just trying to be, you're trying to be useful for, for others, but also 
I mean, in the junior roles, they try to be useful as well. But with the senior roles, you're uh, also leading the way, you're showing the way, you're teaching sometimes, you're making proof of concepts, you're trying to prove your point, you're talking more with business and decision makers of what's, what's there. Sometimes I'm jumping into the calls to be a technical consultant for the business people on what should uh, we do next or what's the problem, how do we solve this. And of course, when you're doing more senior roles, people will trust you more with certificates or your experience. But basically, it's building trust and building the capability of uh, being reliable. Yes. And I think that's such a key thing to point out. Like what I usually say is that when you're a junior, most of the times people are giving you tasks and you complete the tasks, right? So you don't really have to think of the pros and cons. It's like, okay, create this resource and then you create it. But as you become more senior, you know, you start to have, you have to like gather requirements, understand the problem, communicate with stakeholders and create a design. And this is, these are things that people don't really consider, especially when becoming solution architects, because most people, they think, oh yeah, I just draw some diagrams and, and that's it, you know, use the latest technology. But it's a lot more than that. And even I feel like the actual technical bit is a small part. As you become more senior, I feel like your people skills, your communication skills, yes. your document writing skills, those become more important. And, you know, your ability to think through problems but I think, yeah, we'll have a whole nother episode on how to become more senior and, and all of that, because I think you'll bring some really good good insights in, into that. The next question I have is, what actions or attributes do you feel have helped you progress in your career? I would say that constant learning and experimenting. Mm. That's the two things helping me always. All other things like certificates, titles, job importance these things they came later these things came as a sub product because i was curious to do something or i was i wanted to learn this thing or this service to or something to make it happen in the end so to make something happen and when you want to make something happen you're progressing and uh, at the same time i always trying to keep myself up with the things which are helping following people who are sharing stories regarding the cloud, regarding my topics, which I'm involved in. But it's always a learn. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think curiosity is the number one skill in the cloud. Like I have eight certifications and most of them I got after I was already employed. And the reason I got them is because I was just so curious about, you know, learning more and more. And like you say, doing projects and things like that. I feel like those all stem from just having a curiosity a curiosity about the technology, about the industry, uh, just about the world in general. So yeah, thanks for thanks for highlighting that. You know, curiosity is definitely definitely a key attribute. What is one positive and one negative thing you have or a concept you have about working in the cloud industry? The positive thing is that you are having this skill to make any service project, anything available on the internet. But the downside, I would say that your mindset is so different before the cloud when you were just engineer or developer, because nowadays I cannot sometimes use some web services because I know what they did wrong and why. <laughs> and uh, that's um, my background in backend. That's my background in the cloud. 
Black Friday fails for many of the websites. For example, in Finland, it's a common illness that there are five different shops for electronics and they all down on the Black Friday. I don't know why it's still happening in the, in the 2022 or 23, these kind mm-hmm. of things, but still they are happening. And I would say negative thing that you're always constantly see the issues and problems with the cloud or APIs or security sometimes. And it's, it's interesting that sometimes you're just, sometimes I'm just for fun was trying to get things working in the some other website and you don't need mm. to be a hacker really you just some basic knowledge will help you already to to do many things and that's that's important to to realize when you're working on your own projects or your own job that somebody out there will definitely try to hack you or do some security <laughs> uh, to find some security <laughs> and I, actually i was i was being a good guy i tried several times to to communicate with that, mm. well, to say that uh, you know, there's the security problems. hole, yeah, and it's it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was interesting that I tried it a couple of times, but it didn't work out for them, so they didn't answer me. And I had a couple of stories like that, but I mean, anyway, I think it's the downside that you see it everywhere because we are all using some kind of web services mm. <laughs> in our own common life. Yeah, and uh, this is the last question I have for you. What advice would you give someone looking to get their first job in the cloud? So if you rewind back in time to, you know, when you're a mechanical engineer, you're learning programming, like if you had to do all of that again to get to where you are now, what advice would you give to your younger self? The problem that I feel now that I would do exactly the same like I did because I had a pretty fortunate uh, role to be there. Like, because I already had kind of a job as a research assistant where I had then opportunity to try my programming skills. And then in my job, I tried the cloud already. But I think that going into the cloud straight away, it's hard. So you cannot skip programming, I think. And you need to get some kind of programming into your head. For example, it could be Python because Python is maybe the simplest to start with and the most streamlined, for example, I'm not recommending people to start with things like JavaScript, <laughs> Node.js uh, related technologies, let's say, because they're not having the streamlined process, like, for example, in Java or Python. Mm-hmm. Even I'm not a big fan of Java, but still it gives a great start. But going into the cloud, it's not something which you can do like right away. But it should be about going into programming, software-related things. In At many jobs, I talked with my friends who are not doing software programming. They're still doing something related to programming, trust me. I mean, most of the jobs, they are kind of about automation, or finding the ways how to automate or optimize things. You calculate something, especially when you're doing some engineering, but try to think it is a... Uh, opportunity to to use your skills or to try your skills at job or at the university times thinking more about the programming but also the way how it could be accessible to other people like for example making a bot or making some notification system for yourself it doesn't matter it could be related to your hobby i mean there are so many different apis you can google just open apis and you will find many Many interesting ways, I don't know, if you're interested in stocks, there will be stock prices from Google. There will be maps, for example, from, from different providers. Uh, there are many APIs. Or there will be 
hobby related things or your food related things, favorite mm. things. So it's it's kind of interesting that um, try to be curious, and if you can learn something from this episode, <laughs> I think the curiosity should be a drive, not like not only the status, status or the money or possibilities but also you should be curious of what uh, and why you're doing this Mm, yeah i totally agree like you know if you're not curious you're not going to go far there's just so much technology you need to learn so many skills you need to build so many problems you need to solve so yeah if you if you don't have that curious mentality that there's definitely a ceiling on your progression Thanks for sharing all of that, Igor. If anyone wanted to reach out to you to say hello or to say thanks for the valuable input you've put, would LinkedIn be the best place for them to contact you or are there anywhere you want to send people? I think LinkedIn would be the best. I'm sometimes on Twitter, but in LinkedIn, I'm really answering people who are writing me and um, I would be glad to answer the questions uh, related to the the cloud or programming or the things that I'm using and doing. So yeah, LinkedIn would be the best. And um, I think we met with you by LinkedIn. And also I encourage you to apply for the AWS Community Builder program and anyone who's <laughs> interested in sharing their knowledge with the cloud. There are many people now who are students and they are AWS Community Builders and the interest from the students is a big thing nowadays. I mean, uh, many people in universities, they study cloud, they want to learn more about the cloud. So I encourage everyone to, to apply and... Of course, for you, you should be doing this. Also. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I think that's going to be next on my to-do <laughs> list. Uh, apply for community builders. But yeah, I'll put Igor's LinkedIn link in the description. Once again, thanks, Igor. And yeah, we'll talk again soon. All right. Yeah, thank you for this fruitful conversation. Before you go, don't forget to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I really enjoy reading the comments. Maybe say why you listen to this podcast or what you gain from it. It will really help other people find us. Thank you. And I'll see you in the next one.